Tobias Carlyle is the founder and principal of Acquire's Funds. For regulatory reasons, he will not discuss any of the Acquire's Funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Acquire's Funds or affiliates. For more information, visit acquiresfunds.com. Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. I missed yeah, you, Bill. Lo- loved having Ian on. I don't know, Jake. People said that you looked real happy. <laughs> Get out of here with that. That's just what people say. Many people are saying it. <laughs> one message says, connection has timed out. Please try again. And the other one says, Oh, I have meeting is now, streaming, is now live. streaming live. Can you see I it? Say, I say we're live. We're can live. You, can you yeah. check it on YouTube? Yeah, I'll check. I think people, uh, they did. They said they missed me making faces about co- when you would make comments about things. And then yes, I would have cringy faces. Yeah. <laughs> All part of the show. We're good, man. We're live. All right. Well, we'll do it live. What's up, everybody? Fun to be back after the uh, the LA uh, Berkshire Hathaway meeting. That's the subject today. We've got we, Jake might have some. He's prepared, also prepared some veggies. Yeah, always right. That's the we kind of guy that he is. Stay healthy. You want to start with your veggies, and then we'll just roll into riffing on Burke. Uh, yeah, we can do that if you want. That works. I think it makes some sense. All right. Well, so I'm going to try to poorly explain to you guys how like an electrical transformer works. And it's a, it's a miracle actually, if, if you understand some of it, uh, like how these things work, like it's, it almost boggles the mind that it actually works this way. So let's, um, let's get a little bit of some background just to sort of set the mood. Um, there, there are two types of electrical systems. You have AC and DC, so alternating current and direct current. And in a direct current, which is the more simpler version, uh, electrons flow along a wire from a positive to a negative charge. And in an alternating current, they also flow from positive to negative, but that, that positive and negative is changing back and forth. And the way that it does that is that in a generator, whether it's steam powered, you know, a nuclear plant or natural gas fired or you're burning dung uh, or whatever, garbage uh, or a pa- uh, like a, a hydro plant, the turbine is spinning such that it passes this uh, a mag- through a, a, mag- a magnet is spinning inside past these points and they're triggering an electrical impulse within it. And the amount of times that it triggers that impulse in a given minute or given second, I mean, is, is Hertz, right? And so we run on a 60 Hertz system in the US, which means it's 60 times per second, it's triggering this impulse, okay? So now electric transformers that we're gonna be talking about, they actually only work in, in an alternating current system like we have. And if you take an AC generator and you connect it in a loop, you end up with uh, the electrons are basically like flowing back and forth within on the, you know, that, that first hit is going one direction and then it's, it's pushing it back the other direction. So it's alternating back and forth. And when you wrap that, when the, as a current flows through a cable, 
outside of it, it emits this a magnetic field, right? So, and if you take that, that cable and you coil it up a bunch, you create a bigger and bigger magnetic field from that coil. So if you were to take that coil and you set it next to another coil, even though they're not touching at all physically, and you ran alternating current through one of the cables, it, that magnetic field would basically like jump and induce electrons to move on that other cable that's coiled up. So they're not touching at all. And this is kind of a magical thing to me. Like it's, they're not touching, but yet they have an influence on it uh, through what's called uh, electromotive force, right? Is that's there any energy lost through that? Uh, there when are, there can be, yeah. With um, We'll get into that a little bit. It's usually lost to heat. Uh, but so, so and by the way, that EMF that I just said, electromotive force is not quite the same thing as like electromagnetic radiation, which is sometimes called like EMF out of your Wi-Fi. Um, it's a little bit different of a, of a concept just to clear that up. But so a lot of the magnetic field is wasted because it's not within range of this other coil. Like if you're trying to maximize the amount of transfer between these two things. So what engineers came up with this really creative solution where they take an iron core. So just imagine like a donut made out of iron and that helps magnify the electric field to go from one side of like one coil to the other coil. And so you, you, you still end up having losses within this system and they're, they're called eddy currents. It's actually like these little currents of electric electrons swirling around inside the iron core that turn into heat. Uh, but it's, it, it becomes much more effective at, at, at focusing that force from one side to the other of the coil. So the way that a transformer works is, is that system, except the number of coils on one side versus the other will change the voltage coming in and going out. So the more coils that you have wrapped up in that secondary coil will create more voltage on the way out. Likewise, if you wanted to, and that's called a step up transformer. If you wanted to bring the power voltage down, you would actually have less coils on the outgoing side. Just so remind you, us what, what, what's voltage? Voltage is like the potential, basically like, um, one analogy might be like the pressure inside of a pipe, okay. like with water. Uh, so it's like, how much can it do? Um, well, so in a, in your, like, let's zoom out now and think about the bigger power grid. Like, how does it work? If you have typically a, a generator and these are like massive plants, right? Like they're huge things. They're typically run at like 11,000 volts, like 11 KV um, will be the local voltage that's used. Now, how come, like, obviously we can't use, or we don't use 11,000 volts in our house, right? Like we're down to 120 volts. How do we get there? Well, we actually, paradoxically, we actually step up the voltage first before it comes to our house. And the reason for that is, is that if you move power over a long distance, the longer the wire, the more losses that you have for the lower the voltage. So if the higher the voltage actually the less current that's required and current is where the losses come from. Current is what creates the heat that leads to losses. So that's why we step up from the, the plant that's 500 miles away is at 11,000 volts. We'll step it up to 500,000 volts to move it a really long distance before finally locally 
moving it back down to, you know, maybe like a 4,000 volts at a, at a, maybe a bigger substation in your neighborhood all the way down till like the, the transformer that's outside your house uh, will be back. You know, we'll keep stepping it down until you get down to 120 volts that you plug your, your laptop into. Right. So um, the, uh, one of the other interesting things that's kind of cool about the way that a transformer works is that it's actually because you want it to be insulated as such as much as you can so that electrons aren't like jumping around as much. Right. And you want it, the electrons to stay where you want them, but you want the magnetic field to go where you want that to go. And how we do that actually is like baby oil, like mineral oil is what is in most transformers. Uh, and it's a, it's a really good, uh, you know, insulation. It's non-conductive. The other where there, if you have a lot of money to spend, especially actually for like underground, uh, electrical things, they have this stuff called, uh, sulfur hexafluoride sf6 it's this gas that's incredibly inert and it like it does a tremendous job of insulating electrical systems anyway welcome um, to electrical engineering after hours everybody yeah just no in doubt. case you just tuned in <laughs> okay so let's let's take some of the, these concepts that we've kind of painted in broad strokes and and draw maybe some interesting conclusions let's go back to you know, we've talked before about how Munger views the market as sometimes it trades based on the use value of the cash flows of a business, the fundamentals of the business. And sometimes it trades like a, like a Rembrandt, right? And depending on what the market is, uh, you can have a, you know, a use flow of the cash type of market and you can have a Rembrandt market. Well, I would convert that also into like, Damodorians talked about this as like narrative versus numbers, right? It's the same idea. Like sometimes, sometimes it's driven by numbers. Sometimes it's driven by narrative. Well, I think you could think about like the current flowing through like the generator way out there is like the company and, you know, the voltage that they're creating based on either the numbers that they're creating or maybe the narrative that they're spinning. Right. And so they're creating a certain voltage. And now that voltage can be stepped up or stepped down depending upon where does it go. Right. Like, so the media, for instance, likes to blow things like bigger out of proportion. Right. So they will step it up. They'll step up the voltage. Um, And then, you know, where are you in that system as far as like how far away are you from the generator? And are you like, are the windings inside of you, the coils? Are they such that you're a more of a step up transformer or a step down transformer? Do you like, you know, take things up a level and like over extrapolate maybe and get too excited or do you step things down? And are you driven then by the narrative or more by the numbers? Uh, and so you can kind of, you can start to see um, that you have this, these like uh different narratives or numbers will induce flows within you as well as sort of being the, the secondary coil, if you will, in this, in this system. Um, so I don't know. What do you guys think about that one? Is this like way too far off base and, and insane or is it, uh, did, did I land one? Well, I like, I like the analogy. I think it's uh, I think it's an interesting analogy. Um, I think you're drawing a long bow. <laughs> I need to think about it a little bit more. Yeah. 
I, I, I like it. I don't know. I'm, I'm with Toby. I might need to like put a little more like real thought. I, it was, it's tough to follow the, uh, it's a very complicated analogy, right? So, uh, yeah, I it's all clear up here, but sometimes like that, the process from, from brain to mouth doesn't always, uh, fully form it. No, Is man, it a- I dig like, I, I think, I don't know. I guess part of what you're saying today is an interesting day to have the conversation with some of these more Rembrandt stocks selling off, right? Um, I don't know. You see how people react when they get punched in the mouth a little bit. You know, do they kind of like focus on the long term? Uh, is is narrative driving decision making? Like, I I could see that. Like, I like that idea. Whether or not you're able to sort of cool down everything, or whether or not you heat up, and I like that. Where, where do you want to be? Where, where do you think you want to be, JT? Do you want to be stepping things up when it comes through, or do you want to be sort of stepping it down? Uh, well, <clears throat> I think it depends a lot on where the how far are you away from the the prime mover, um, the business or whatever it is that you're the asset that you're evaluating. Um, I think the closer you are to it, the less that you probably need to change the voltage to adjust for other people's change in voltage. Um, so if, you know, for instance, if you're only reading headlines, news headlines about a business, and that's how you're driving your investment decisions. Well, I'm guessing you probably want to be more of a step down transformer, right? Because they want sensational headlines. They're trying to cut through. So they need to step it up. Yeah. I would also say that the the quality of the generator makes a big difference. So if your particular generator tends to run hot, uh, then maybe you want to step down a little bit to reality. Um, I don't want to name any names, but some some management teams are a little bit more promotional, promotional. and and, <laughs> and promissory than others, uh, and maybe don't always deliver on those. Uh, and then maybe there's other ones that are kind of more sandbaggy of actual, like what they say versus how much they deliver. And maybe you want to be a little bit more of a step-up transformer there. Yeah. Okay. Now I get it. Yeah. I like that. So it's, it's about sort of assessing the uh, intensity of the information that you're getting and its relationship to the intensity of the underlying message or, or the, the, the intensity of the narrative over the intensity of the underlying message. Yeah. And I think the other thing to recognize is that you probably have a natural number of coils in you as that secondary in the transformer and recognize like, I probably lean too pessimistic or I'm, I'm a little bit too much yeah. of a step down. Uh, and they actually have these, um, there's this cool thing they invented called a load tap changer. And what it does is like, you can actually change the number of coils easily within like mechanically within inside a transformer, depending on do you need to boost the voltage or not? And so uh, maybe you like should be cognizant of like doing your own kind of load tap changer uh, within your yeah. own transformer. Yeah. So if anybody needs some consulting on uh, electrical engineering, Jake is available. <laughs> Incorrect. No, he's not. <laughs> well, will I like you, that. Will you uh, offer to be other people's load tap changer? <laughs> we we tap. I mean, that load. is effectively what we're trying change to change it. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, I mean, that is kind of our job, right? On this show, sometimes is to to get the voltage maybe to the right level, either yeah. too positively or negatively, depending on what's swirling around in the world. Well, I like that. Should we have you have you extracted all of the uh, all of the current from that analogy? And then ah, some. Well and then so <laughs> that's a pros pro right there. 
Well, let's um, should we should we move on to the uh, to the dessert portion of the uh, yeah of the podcast? Uh, did anybody catch the uh, Berkshire Hathaway meeting on the weekend? Yeah, sorry if I'm getting louder to people listening. I had to adjust my gain. Uh, yeah, I did. It was good. But then I got to be honest, I listened to it a second time getting ready for the show. And uh, Warren confused me a lot. Oh, which which part? Stick into that. I don't know, yeah. man. Like, uh, I mean, not not like expressing a view on taxes. I thought that it was kind of like a dancey answer. Um I mean, he didn't go into like he so he said something about like he's bought businesses recently that he doesn't have like real insight into, like unique insight into. Um, Is that Verizon? What's he talking about? That's what I think it was. He could have been talking about the Japanese trading companies. I'm not really sure like which one he was talking about, but um, I, I don't know. I just like. There were just some things that had me scratching my head a little bit. I did uh, enjoy having, I had to catch a replay because I, my boys had a bunch of baseball on Saturday, so I didn't get to watch it live. So I watched it on Sunday morning and <laughs> I set it to one and a half times speed. And like it put, it was basically like putting them back into 1998 yeah. level. <laughs> like it was <laughs> interesting. It's quite good actually. Like it really made a big difference. Yeah. It's I don't know. I just I guess um like I like that Charlie brought the heat. Um but I don't I like I don't know how I feel about like I, I'm not sure I got real insight into how the business is running or like much comfort that uh well, I think he said that and the, Warren have like think, systematized insurance. I I just I just, I don't know. I think he said they were running pretty hot, didn't he? Like I got that I got that impression. What do you mean? Just that the businesses were running pretty hot. Yeah. In that context of he was talking about inflation and he said that Berkshire was doing very well. Most so of 80, the economy was doing 85% pretty well. of the economy is running in super high gear. Yeah. yeah. And international air travel is uh, is not not one of them. <laughs> so that was one. Like, I don't know. If if you're worried about I guess I can I can argue this both ways because what we went through was such a unique instance. But like if you're worried about the headline risk of owning a business that needs to get a bailout, then like why are you over 10% in Bank of America and why were you over 10% in Delta? Like and and then he's like I don't make macro calls, but I feel like that was kind of a macro call. I just I don't know. There's just a lot of a lot of things that I I sort of am like, huh? It's also he could have just been being polite about the prospects for airlines in the he, he you know he knows that everybody's looking at him as a business analyst and he's he's sort of told everybody what he's doing by selling out of them. He doesn't really need to go and dance on their grave afterwards. He's just sort of he's sold out. Buffett's given his view on airlines. Now ask him a question about airlines and he's going to be kind of polite and. Uh, you know, not trying to hurt anybody's feelings rather than like coming in with a tomahawk dunk from the top of the key, you know, just to really rub but, it in. But I guess the thing is like, I, I think that would have made sense last May, but this May, I think you can kind of talk about what you were thinking. Like, I don't know why his view is any more right than everybody else's on that. I do uh, agree with him. He's a 92 year old man who's been investing and beating the market for the last 60 something years. Is that, uh, I mean, I, I don't, 
What have you done for me lately, Warren? Yeah. Well, I mean, sort of. Not, I mean, not like fully, but like I, I don't know. I, I just, I'd be interested to hear how he thought through the probabilities. I think he let slip, and maybe it's because it's what I wanted to hear <laughs> that he thinks that business travel could really be impaired going forward. Yeah, he did say I that. Think. So maybe that's why. As I a result of Zoom, did, did you interpret that? Like well, I don't know Zoom about like Zoom, things. but I think in general, uh, the willingness of businesses to engage remotely and to have installations remotely, yeah, I think that's going to be a massive shift. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think anybody that is following anything that's going on thinks that humans will not leisure travel. I think the entire equation rests on business travel. Does business travel subsidize leisure travel a little bit? Do you think? Oh, dude, in the hub, in the in the big three, it's massive. So that would make leisure travel a little bit more expensive, which will necessarily eh. mean there's less of it. I don't know. You could just have shittier economics for the airlines. Because leisure is not going to like, Spirit doesn't care if business travel is impaired. You get well, like you, a couple small business owners on Spirit, but that's almost all leisure. If you and they're going to hold down pricing. If you take a very price insensitive buyer out of the demand curve, well, it's probably probably going to hurt your your producer surplus. Yeah, which there wasn't much anyway. It wasn't a whole lot to be found anyway. I, I think he's a little bit gun show with airlines too. For the number of times that he's lost money and the number of times that he's spoken about it publicly as being a huge mistake, and then sort of you know you got to give him credit for having the mental flexibility to actually go and buy a basket of them. But he must have been like, you know what, if he's not a, he doesn't believe it deep in his bones. So the first sign of trouble is like, hit the, get the, grab the parachute, hit the ejector seat, let's get out. You guys got me one more time already. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is the last time I swear. I do think this is outside of the realm of, you know, what you underwrite. So I, I understand that. I guess what I, I, I guess I just don't fully understand the idea of like, well, if we had owned them, they might not have gotten bailed out. Like, I just, I don't know. Uh, that might've been him being polite or he maybe yeah. was just worried about the optics. Cause he was sensitive to the criticism from 2007, eight, nine, when the banks got the bailouts and he seemed to be a beneficiary of that. Yeah. Yeah. But like that, like to me as a shareholder, um, I don't know that I really like, a world where he's nervous about the optics of what he buys. Like this is a hard enough game anyway. And then he's playing it with all of the cash that he's playing it. It's with. a marginal like, business though. I mean, he's just, that's, I'm saying that's his, that's the excuse that he's given the real, the real excuse is that he's not totally sold on the airlines. And so first, first opportunity that he gets his out. Yeah. So then why not buy something that like, maybe you're a little more sold on, but has less yield. I mean, this same thing kind of happened a little bit to, to them in the 70s with inflation where uh also like also like uh litigation and the, the amount that insurance has had to cover increased quite a bit like and they didn't underwrite enough for that right so you you had the like juries basically like giving huge awards and these insurance companies that did not have that as part of their risk profile at that time um so they they underpriced it and i think that same kind of dynamic might be explained for him. Boy, if there's deep pockets on the other side of this for yeah. like, they're not like there's bigger risks than for that company. It's that rise and in punitive, him. punitive damages. 
Yeah. Right. So they're going to punish him as a big shareholder rather than if it's a bunch of small guys that own it, like they're not going to come looking to, to you and I to bail out that in that, in that way. I guess, but it's like, there's still 90% of the shares outstanding that are owned by pension funds and stuff. It's not like it's a wholly owned subsidiary. What did you think about, uh, so the, the thing that stood out for me, the thing that I enjoyed the most was because I'm, I'm in this sort of project where I'm thinking about, you know, how can you identify stuff that's going to work over very long periods of time? And so he put up that list of companies. It's, he started with the 31 March 2021 list of the biggest companies in the world, pointed out that five of the top six were American. Um, Apple was number one. Saudi Aramco was number two. And then it was Google, Microsoft, and a, and, a, and a couple of others in there. And then he said, how many of these companies in 30 years' time will be still here? And, uh, and then he went back to 1989, and he said, here's a list of the top 30, and it was overrepresented by Japan because Japan was at the very peak of its uh, stock market bubble at the time. And uh, none of the companies from that list showed up 30 years later which I thought was kind of interesting. I haven't, I haven't looked over a 30-year period in my back test. I've been looking back about 20 years. And at 20 years, it's almost impossible to, to, to identify it. I think, I think out of about 40 companies that get pulled up, about four or five survive through to, um, to the present day, which is kind of extraordinary because these are companies that, you know, they've, they've all got returns on equity over 20%, averaged over the last five years. They've got margins that are greater than 40% averaged over the last five years. Like these are definitionally good companies. I thought it was a very interesting comment and it, it's something that it keeps on hitting me that this is, um, you have to be very careful, like the, the longevity, even looking at that, I think he said that of the top 20 in 2021, he thought that a few of those might survive on, but he didn't think it was going to be zero, but he was also like that it's hard that not many are going to make it. I think he was hoping that Berkshire might be one. I was told never sell. <laughs> it's potentially more of a philosophy than sort of an approach to. Uh, oh, okay, don't take that so literal. But perhaps don't sell for uh, don't sell for valuation reasons. Might be the might be the takeaway from from never sell, not from what Buffett said. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, well, I think you have to. I think you have to think about like what's the total current enterprise value versus what it possibly could be, and that's how you that's how you handicap selling. That's hard but, though. When you when you look at nothing's the, easy, bro. It's but, fucking uh, hard the, to make money in the market. When you looked at look back in '89, the biggest company was 104 billion dollars. Was a Japanese company, and that just seems like an insanely even today yeah. that seems like a very big business. Yeah, and then. Uh, you look at today, it's a $2 trillion company. So that's 20 times bigger. So 20 times bigger is a $40 trillion company. That's hard. In 30, like It's just hard to visualize in 30 years time a $40 trillion company, but it's probably going to exist. And it's probably going to be Google or something like that. But it's, you know, it's, uh, it just illustrates how difficult it is to sort of conceive of those sort of numbers given what we're used to now. Yeah. I think that's why never sell has won for well, now. We got to, we got to look at it full cycle. And I, I still don't think that March, 2020 counts as the end of the cycle. I don't think you bounce like that. out of it. Like this is a, how long are you going to wait? <laughs> as long as it takes. I'm a very patient man. <laughs> yes. I, I will say a cycle until I see a damn cycle. And I'm the one that calls the cycle. Yeah. 
I, dude, I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I just think, um, I don't know. I, I think, uh, just like you can't look at that lesson and say, well, uh, none of, you know, none of the companies were there before, so none of them will be there in the future. Uh, right. Like I, I just, the, all this stuff is very, very difficult. The answer's not, not, I mean, the answer's not, I predict. Yeah, no, it's hard. It's impossible for any of these companies to get through. The, the, the answer is just that it's extremely difficult and you should be just careful about how you kind of, you know, don't go and buy it. Like you might've thought a pretty safe bet would just be to go and buy the largest 20 companies in the world in 1989 and i'll just surf this one all the way to the beach and then you know it's bad news in 2021 yeah well i think that means that active managers can't fall asleep right you got to remain active but like the other side of it is it's super hard to have thought about facebook growing at 29 percent over the past 12 months amazon 47 percent on a hundred billion dollar base let me push back on that a little bit though that the narrative in 89 was just as strong and just as convincing and just as logical as all the narratives today that's true okay but i think what i'm saying is like the fundamentals are impressive right now like that's not narrative like we're talking about turning down the heat turning up the heat 29 percent growth on a on a 94 billion dollar base it's insane like that's crazy. So what's that worth? I don't know. 10 times sales doesn't seem too nuts. I did like his, uh, he said something like, like March 22nd of last year, Berkshire couldn't sell a bond. March 23rd, yeah. Carnival Cruise Lines could. <laughs> yeah, that was wild. I like that he actually called him out by name. <laughs> what, yeah, was well, the, what, what was the, the difference between fucked. the two? What the two dates? Yeah, the Fed. J Pal. Oh, okay. All right. Fair Here, I flip my Transdime bonds too. Shout out to you, J Pal. <laughs> I should about, have just bought the equity though. What about uh, the comments on inflation? They've been. I mean, when have they been right on inflation? Well, I don't think that they've. Like, like for 10 years, these guys, and I'm not saying just them. I'm saying like everybody. I think this is why Charlie's like, it's really fucking hard. Like rates haven't gone up. And and yeah, like inflation right now is everywhere in the system. Guess what happens when you set, shut the entire supply chain down for an entire year and people keep spending money? You get huge shortages. And guess what? You can't just turn on again, a supply chain. So like, it's not really shocking to me that there's a lot of price explosion right now. I think the also, harder you dump a lot of money is, on the other side. It's two. There's two sides to that equation. There's yeah. Uh, well, the, there's I think the this constriction is, in supply, but there's also you dump a whole lot of money on the other side. Yeah. Well, this is somewhere. this is why I think people that want to see inflation everywhere are seeing it, and this is why I think people that don't want to see inflation are saying, "Well, this is just a supply chain issue." I mean, it's I, I have no idea. None. It's so complicated. You would almost think it'd be better to let a market figure out the right answer than to have, uh, you know, overlords who think that they know the exact right levers to pull. Almost like it'd be a, almost a fatal conceit to think that you could do that. (laughs) I don't, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I guess, um, I don't know. I don't know how you undo it. As Buffett said a long time ago, it's easier to buy things than to sell them. So once you implement a strategy or a policy like this, I don't know how you get out of it, but 
I definitely think like, I mean, he said bailing out the airlines was the right policy decision. I think he and I align from a policy standpoint. I don't think just like hands off was the right approach. So how do you unwind it? Who knows? I just know buy tech stocks, right? That's the answer. <laughs> I did like Buffett channeling his inner Henry Hazlitt and saying in economics, you could never do just one thing. So you always have to ask, and then what? Yeah. I guess that I just think that I just think that people are too like predisposed to think and then what is negative. And I'm not sure that that's true. Mm. That's fair. I think Munger was kind of balanced on that with he was saying like the people who think that MMT is is right are insane, but also that it's worked probably way better than in most people would have ever imagined and has it has had less consequences than we would have imagined. So that's my view. Maybe it falls on a lot longer. Yeah, maybe. I think it's insane, but it, it clearly, uh, I can't point to how it's not working. <laughs> that is a conundrum. <laughs> maybe it is the answer. I don't know. I don't think so, but no, maybe. I mean, I think that the answer, if you believe in MMT, is to like own Costco because more people will be spending more money at Costco. Like, just like own the businesses that people will be spending money at is always the answer that I just come back to. Even Bitcoin. Say Bitcoin takes over the world. People are going to have to pay for Disney experiences in Bitcoin. You will end up owning the Bitcoin. Mm. Shark <laughs> like, teeth. Doesn't matter. I don't care what the transactional method is. I just want to own shit that people have to pay for. I know that that's like not a fun thing to say because it, it's not great for clickbait, but I don't know. I have thought about turning my own podcast into one big macro Bitcoin show because I know that the ratings would be fantastic. On the other hand, I'm not all that interested in it. You get a lot of attention when you, when you do Bitcoin stuff. Oh, yeah. People love it. Maybe I gotta I gotta get on that uh, gotta get on that train. <laughs> well, in macro too, man. Look at the um look at the entity uh, that uh, spacked Whitney Tilson's um newsletter. They they have a bunch of macro newsletters that they go with it. It yeah. dwarfs Whitney's stuff, and Whitney makes pretty good money on his stuff. It's all public. Check it yeah, out. Why why is macro so much more alluring than micro? Because it's disprovable and you can always throw some world is ending thesis in the middle of it. Micro is disprovable or macro is disprovable? Macro. It's disprovable? I think a lot of these theses, like you, you, people, there's so many, like, it's so complex. Disprovable you can or un usually end with is trying to screw you. Unprovable. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yes, yes. You can't prove that somebody is wrong. Yeah. Or even right. Yeah, I think macro is more politics, really, just an expression of your politics than it is really a sort of a scientific approach to anything. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, I find micro is pretty intuitive and, you know, you, you can understand it when you, when you learn it whenever high school or college or uni, wherever you get it. And then macro comes in and you're just like, what is going on here? Try and read some Keynes or some, I mean, I find, I find the Austrians pretty easy to read, but Keynes is sort of impenetrable to me. He writes well, I, though. I don't fully understand. General like, theory is fun. I don't understand why Charlie still has this big beef with Bitcoin as opposed to just being like agnostic on it. 
he's very anti, isn't he? Because I think Charlie's yeah. got that, you know, he he likes Lee Kuan Yew. He likes Singapore. He kind of likes authoritarian yeah, he likes dictators and China. Like, so, I mean, I don't know. You're going to come at people that believe in a decentralized system. Like well, I, that would conflict with that, right? That would, that would. I know, but that I like, I have a problem with his, some of his views on authoritarianism. Yeah. I mean, I understand saying like, it's not for me. It's not an asset I want to invest in. I, I don't own any, like that's fine. But like, I don't, act, I'm not, I'm very dispassionate. After the Bitcoin podcast, somebody was like, you got to have a Bitcoin naysayer on. I was like, I'm not the fucking arbiter of Bitcoin truth. You go get your own naysayer. I don't want to have this conversation. I wanted to talk to Preston. That's it. You don't want to, who would, I mean, I'm sort of, a, I'm probably a naysayer, but it's probably, you don't want to be defined in the negative to something, do you? Like, what, what's your thing? I'm, I'm, I'm again, I'm again, Bitcoin. I'm yeah. anti-Bitcoin. Yeah. It's no way to I'd, go through life. Yeah. Well, I guess it would be like a gold bug, right? I guess Peter Schiff is anti-Bitcoin. I don't know. Like, I don't care. But then he's a gold bug. So, you know, gold bugs are just as bad. Good business, though. It is good. Again, business. you can sell like the Fed is out to screw you. The world is ending. Good for clicks. Buy gold. Good yeah, for it's clicks. Great. It's great Why do you business. think that is? Why is it so good for clicks? Because of fear. It's the same reason yeah. that it's it's uh, it's religion. I mean, it's like yeah. we can't explain this, but I need to. I need it explained to me. That's why thunder is some guy up there like throwing yeah, bolts around. Yeah, yeah, it helps. It helps me feel like I have a sense of control. Yeah. Well, That's and then right. you, you start to see why the media runs with it when you start to see some of the numbers behind this stuff. And you're yeah. like, oh, okay. So if I ran an advertising-based business and I saw the numbers, again, pull up the SPAC that SPAC Whitney Tilson stuff. Like you start to look at it and you're like, oh, this makes 100% sense why the news is constantly macro and crypto and gold. Like I get yeah. it. That doesn't mean it's true. It just means a bunch of people that are paid on advertising are running stuff that people can't help but turn away from. You can be out here talking about micro cap. No one cares. Mention yeah. Bitcoin. Unit economics, transformers. Yeah. Nobody yeah. gives a shit. <laughs> no, that's the truth though, right? So that's important to understand if you're like consuming financial entertainment. I, I think that that's an important dynamic to see the world through. It is funny that he's so anti. I mean, he's... To, to, to call it disgusting is a like that's a disgust is a pretty that's about as far as it gets isn't it yeah like i i i have much more disgust for some of the promotional stuff that i see going on than bitcoin like i i guess you could argue well bitcoin's just one big promotion but like i don't know i don't I'm glad I talked to Preston. I hope that guy, you know, is either right or gets out in time or whatever. I think he did good work. I think he had a thesis. I think he made money. If people want to hate on me for it, then I say, go look in the mirror. But, you know, like I don't have a hatred towards it. I don't care. Like, I, yeah. I don't know why people have to care about it. Well, and if, if your thesis, which I think maybe uh, this is um, not fair, but um, was that, People, the more that people use this, the more acceptance that it gets, the the more powerful it gets. Like that is, if you're anticipating that, like that is the, uh, that's the magnetic force radiating from that wire, like increasing and therefore, you know, moving the current for you, if that's how you think about the world. And like, I don't, I've, I've given up on wanting people who have a different frequency than me uh wanting them to fail 
Like, I don't think that's a good way to go through life. Like, I hope they succeed. And I, I want to succeed in the way that makes sense to me. And it feels like I can do well without taking stupid risks. But if that's how they are wired, and that's like, what the current that resonates with them, then like, why should I have opinions about that? Like, I'm, I'm actually trying to go the other direction and be happy for them, like genuinely happy that it's working for them. If, if Bitcoin makes it to this point that it's just accepted everywhere and um, it's a totally, you know, banal part of the landscape, isn't that, hasn't it succeeded at that point? Like, doesn't it, doesn't it then kind Except of Except affect- for trashing the environment with uh, all the electricity that it takes. <laughs> Kathy Wood says that it's all uh, renewables that it's consuming. Mm. All good then. Case Those closed. Doesn't, there's no, uh, no environmental damage to uh, creating a wind turbine and solar panel or anything. Well, I don't, I don't know about that sort of stuff. I can't comment. I'm not going to comment. Is what I'm saying. I think the only thing that I am sure of is that I haven't done enough work to have an opinion, and I don't think Charlie really has either. I do understand why he would not like the idea of just like imagining a currency and marketing it and getting a bunch of billions of dollars off that. But like, I also don't know that. Um, I, if you create people's perception of a store of value and gain value out of that, I would argue that's a pretty good economics thing to solve. It shocks me that the Winklevi were able to do this. Good and, you know, I mean, that's like pretty damn impressive. And I think it's a hell of a marketing, you know, to come from where it came from to where it is today. Like that's an incredible feat in marketing. Is it but, marketing or is it just the nature of the of, of the thing? I mean, what what why why get upset about Bitcoin and not get upset could, about frequent flyer miles? This pen will never be recreated, right? Is like something I could tell you. This is the only pen of its kind. Unless people believe in that notion, this pen has no value. But it's, I, I do it's think built into the it's built into the protocol, right? I mean, I, I believe yeah, it's that a whole part bunch of, it. of fundamentally, it's a bunch of nothing. But you know. So, so frequent flyer miles. Put that so on a t-shirt. I understand. No, but Bitcoin. I understand. So US dollars. So are US dollars. Well, but and that I think that's my point is like people now believe in the value of it. And because someone created something that people believe in the value, and I don't have a huge problem with that person in you know gaining a lot of wealth. That seems like a form of capitalism. I just think that it doesn't have underlying cash flow and Charlie finds that like fundamentally offensive. But to me, that's just like a currency. Like I, I don't think, I don't, I don't think he's thinking about it as an investment product. I think he's thinking about it. I think that, I think he's got that chain letter scam view of it. You know, I've seen that it's a common scam to have these, you know, multi-level marketing type, you know, not, not the, not the ones that are listed. The one, you know, there's, I've seen lots of these types of things where guys are like, you know, I've got this credit card and you, you, get some benefit to like signing up your downstream on the credit card. Like it's not, I think that's the way he kind of views it. And I don't think it is that I think it's something else, but I, I don't think that I, I, I think it's a perfectly legitimate currency. I just don't think that you, you know, I don't speculate in other currencies. I don't know why I'd speculate in that one. Yeah. I, I guess I don't understand why he's so nuanced about authoritarianism and not about Bitcoin. That's I, like don't know if he's I think he's like, he's for it. Yeah. So that's like, that to me is like really tough to stomach. I think that, it's part that's of always, it is that's like, bothered me for a while. Charlie thinks that there are, you know, super, there, there are clearly, there are people out there who are smart and, you know, who have these, whatever character type that have, super intelligent and character and they should be in charge of everything. And so when he finds a Lee Kuan Yew and he's look what he's done with 
Singapore. He says there's no reason why we can't have more of that. I think yeah, that's, a, the that's the right observation. I think it's that if you've been studying human folly your entire life, what are the chances that you come down on the side of, well, we just have to give people freedom and they're <laughs> smart enough to figure it out for themselves and do the right thing? Oh, I think quite high because the alternative is we should centralize power. And what are the chances that people are going to do good for people when they have centralized power? That's where I get to. Well, I, I, I'm not saying that I was coming down on either one of those. I'm saying like, if you're a Charlie and that's how you've like viewed the world, like looking for folly, you might think think that the average person maybe needs a little paternalistic nudge. Yeah. But I would be really worried about what the power would do to the people that have it. Um, We're going to come up in the question time. Wait, one thing, one thing real quick. Incidents of that happening. One thing that I really liked that they said was when they were talking about the proposal of uh, BHE for uh, Texas. Yeah. And Buffett was like, yo, if we can't do this, like if we miss our timeline, we'll give $4 billion. And like, we're down to lose on this bid, but like whoever gets it should have skin in the game. And we can actually deliver. Yeah. When we say we will. (laughs) Yeah. That's dope. You know, that's like how business should be done. And I, I, uh, I admire that, despite the fact that Robin Hood wants to say that they were lambasted by truth tellers. What a uh, joke it, Robin Hood is. Ian, Ian Castle had a question. Uh, hey, Ian. Invite him on. So, yeah, come yeah. on the pod, man. Let's do a four-way. Ian's, Ian's question was, uh, should you get paid for holding Berkshire Hathaway as an investment manager? And I think that in the way that he asked the question, he felt that you should not. Ian, why are you coming at me like that, bro? <laughs> well, I, I said to Ian, I'd be happy to take the other side. And I genuinely think that you can take the other side. Um, I don't currently hold it. I should, I should tell everybody in, in the interest of full disclosure. Um, but I think that, you know, we, we, all think of, we all think of Buffett as an investor, but Buffett, you know, I think he's, he's an industrialist, right? He's running a business. If I could find a whole, if I could find 10 blokes who, who are investor industrialists like Warren Buffett running businesses that look like Berkshire Hathaway, that would be the portfolio and that would be everything. I'd be done. And you'd be paying me to not buy anything else. I would also say that the, uh, you know, the timing of buying it and when you add to it and how much position sizing uh, and, you know, why do you hold? And I, all of those things are important. And it's not just like, oh, well, you just buy this one thing and you're done. Um, you know, it's a continuing evaluation of, do I like the next guys that are going to be running this? And do I have a good, you know, evaluation of them? Because that's going to be a big part of the future cash flow. And that's not an obvious thing to answer necessarily. Um, and that's, you have to kind of have a view on that to own it today with actuarially speaking with these two guys, right? So, um, I mean, what, why, why should you get paid to own anything? I guess would. Well, his, his, do you think that, I mean, at the, at the very beginning of the meeting, they said something like they've shifted it to Los Angeles because everybody wanted to do it with manga. What, what do you think that was? What, what was that referring to? It's not very mobile. I mean, he's flying private, right? Yeah, but it, you got to get up on the jet. That's kind of a pain in the ass. You still got to, you still got to get from home to the wherever they filmed it because it wasn't over zoom i mean it wasn't over zoom between those guys yeah, but they it's were easier to hop into his roles than it is to walk up i mean i'm sure he's flying something nice he's not in 
a Learjet. Those got big steps. I don't know, man. I bet. I mean, it's a pain. He doesn't want to move. Guy might even poop himself. Like, don't just let him be home. I, I don't mean that as a joke. I'm like watching, you know, my grandma age. It's not it's not pleasant. So if he doesn't want to move, I would do anything that I could possibly do to help my friend in that situation. So yes. they've all gone to LA to make sure that that Munger's there. Because um, presumably Buffett looks at those actuarial tables pretty closely. And so he's got an idea about how many more annual meetings he's got in him. And so then that does raise a pertinent question. And that was, I think they addressed it a little bit by having Greg Abel and Ajit Jain on the, uh, on the podium with, with those other two guys. Yeah, were you satisfied with their answer? Well, Munger said Greg's going to be the CEO. But that's what I mean. Like, he's satisfied with that answer? Yeah, it makes sense to me to have... I mean, Greg does a lot of capital allocation in the big industrial businesses. And I think that's going to be where the majority of the capital allocation needs to happen on a go-forward basis. So it makes sense to me to have the guy that has the best sense of those businesses making the capital allocation choice. How old is he? Greg? Uh, I don't know. Late fifties. They said he had an eight year old. I thought, did I miss here? Oh, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's younger. He's going to hockey games and he's, um, he's playing hockey or his son's playing hockey. I think he said he was eight at the start. Guy's got time for hockey games. Well, maybe not. Come him. on, Greg, give up your family. <laughs> Do the right thing by shareholders. Yeah. Do the right thing so asset managers can get paid to hold the stock. Come on. Do nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so so a bunch of people that talk about reading books all day can get paid. You give up your family. This makes sense. Yeah, I, I don't very, know. I'm very mean, attacked on this show today. <laughs> I, I, feel, <laughs> I feel a bit like... 58. Like, Thanks, I, guys. 58. I think... There you go. Boom. Um, I think that uh, you know, like why should people get paid to hold, you know, Constellation or Transdime or any of these sort of like capital allocation machines? I, I do. I think Berkshire's, um, I mean, it's very big. It's probably not going to outperform. Um, they would say that themselves, but you know, we'll see. I don't know how you hold it tactically. That stuff matters. So I have a better as long answer. As you're honest with your clients, you deserve that to be paid. I, I just don't, think that you can tell your clients like i run a tech fund and i'm long berkshire i am i'm in the business of building little empires and part of my empire is outsourced to the decision maker of the guys in omaha and that is that little part of my kingdom that i own is is allocated to that particular business situation but i have an entire other portfolio full of of kingdoms that are part of my empire that's how i think about it yeah i like that you've also got to you know, buy meme stocks you also got to identify it in the, not, oh not, yeah not everybody holds it you got to identify it in the first instance you got to understand the opportunity you got to understand what's special about it so you have to understand that and understand those other con conglomerate type businesses and why they're worth holding and not you know there's a lot of people listening to this and there are a lot of different views here, but we're, we don't all hold all of those things. So identifying and holding it, like that says something about the investor. Well, let's ask the question too, like the amount of work and understanding that Chris Bloomstrand has in Berkshire, does he deserve to have been paid for his understanding of owning it the last 20 years? Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know that, that I don't know that I buy that. 
I don't think that you don't you don't deserve to get paid because you've done deep work on something. You deserve to get paid because your work is right. Now he, I happen to think that he is a very smart analyst. I'm not trying, but I, I, I don't like drawing the line at this person did a lot of work on something, therefore they deserve to be paid. Okay, I agree. But how about like uh, being right has a better chance of happening if you've done the deep work? Well, Preston Pish would say he's pretty wrong. Who's wrong? I mean, Preston, because he didn't hope. Because he Preston didn't hope did Bitcoin. deep work. Preston's up like two hundred times on his on his buy, and people tell me that he's selling snake oil, and he's wrong. So I don't know where the where to draw the distinction. I think, you know, people deserve to get paid if they outperform. Uh, I think that if they underperform, they deserve to get paid if they've conveyed and can demonstrate that they're taking less risk on their clients' behalf. I think that people get paid to get their clients to the finish line, and that's the most important thing. It's fair. We got questions. Because a lot of clients can't get to the finish line without the without the manager, right? Um, and you know, like I, I, if Chris, he's a big boy. If if he's right, he's going to get paid and he's going to outperform by a ton, right? And that'll be people will figure that out in ten years. The thing that sucks in the meantime is, you know, watching these meme stocks explode. <laughs> Although now they're actually exploding to the downside. This is literal ex exploding on the launch pad. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm taking on water on my beloved Twitter. That's a shame. After I mocked Buffett for not buying tech and then I go out and buy it. That's that, what the gods will do. I see you gods. You, you've be, you, you become a Bitcoin maximalist. Have I? And a Berkshire minimalist. Uh, that's funny because Berkshire's my biggest holding. Portfolio says no otherwise. Bitcoin. <laughs> Yeah, but okay. <laughs> Don't let facts get in the way of a good narrative. This is what you're doing wrong, Bill. Is you're not you're you're talking your book in the opposite direction. You got, you got <laughs> the narrative. You got the narrative narrative hitch. Yeah, you're at cross. Fair. That's fair. Well, all for the likes. All right, I got a question. Uh, what Berkshire business would you sell off, assuming no tax hits? Oof. I think Fruit of the Loom could go. <laughs> uh, I think there's a lot of them that I, I wouldn't mind carving up. I'll tell you what I wouldn't sell. Oriental Trading Company. That's a fucking business. Mm. It's just not big enough. Odd, odd choice there. I like it. Yeah. Came from I mean, if, if it were me, dog. and this is how wrong and out of tune I am, but like I would probably be trimming more Apple if it was me. It's because you're a hater. No, let's just, let's uh, go to the market cap. Check it out, the, folks. That's the that's the biggest company in the world, right there. I think I think Meb Faber would say that basically, if you the biggest company in the world almost always underperforms for the obvious reason that to become the biggest company in the world, you tend to be pretty Some stretched. Things had to go right. Some things had to go right. A lot of things had to go right, and you had to get the multiple expansion too. And it's uh, not trading at that crazy of a multiple, man. I don't disagree. I, I, I was just going to say this has been one of the this is one of the unusual periods in time where it's not Exxon at the biggest company in the world or some oil producer is the biggest company in the world. It's a company that potentially has a little bit. It's is trading a better at a four company. and a half percent free cash flow yield. Yeah, like that's not that crazy for the yeah. best business ever. I mean, now yeah, you got some hardware risk for sure, but like it also just generated ninety billion dollars in TTM free cash, like straight cash, homie, like Randy Moss cash, not like oh, 
we got adjusted EBITDA. Adjusted, shit. yeah. That's no, crazy. no doubt. It's a absolute. I mean, it's it's a money printer. Like it would almost make JPOW jealous. <laughs> I'm interested to watch this suit. I want to actually like read the documents. I gotta I gotta get those. Um, because the the suit about the Apple the App Store, this is gonna be interesting. What what are they what what are they saying? It's anti competitive, or are they saying that they're taking? Too yeah, big I mean, this is this is what's. I mean, this is the narrative, or not the narrative, but I mean, this is what developers are saying about Apple, right? It's like like you think about Roblox. Roblox is a pretty incredible product. Apple's just gonna get to rake like twenty you know, percent off the top in perpetuity, like you that. Create the ecosystem. Yeah, no doubt. So into the ecosystem. That's football. That's the way the game is played. Yeah, well, I created is... the customers for you. You you get to roll out on my platform, and I had to do all the hard work. I had to go and build those bloody phones. You just get to sell to them. This is why Buff Diggy is smarter than me when he said that it was the most valuable real estate in the world, and I heard what he said and still didn't understand it. <laughs> I still think Google's a better business. Yeah, that was. They had nice earnings. So did Facebook. That was crazy to see those prints. They're, they're the most direct beneficiaries of the last 12 months, though. That could all, and Amazon as well. I mean, Amazon, nobody's going to mention Amazon. It's like 47% on a $100 billion base, but then you lock yeah. everybody in their houses for a year. Like, that's probably what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think big tech generally, it's pretty incredible. But is it a pull forward or not? Well, or here's is my it a, question. A should secular get, trend that just keeps Should going? you get paid as a manager to hold Fang? Famji. I think a lot of managers have kept their job doing it. <laughs> Amen. Probably that's they're probably the most widely held stocks run. Yeah, I'm not I mean, I'm not sure they don't deserve to be more bought. Uh, I think we're coming up in time, amigos. Any uh, any <laughs> That's closing the face, words? Jake. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> what, what do I do? do I, 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 have a, do I, have I gave Jake face? a cringy. I gave Jake something to cringe at. Um, uh, but you, I mean, you dude, didn't bail. The world did. <laughs> Apple at a four and a half percent free cash flow yield. Like that's that's just not that rich relative to history or anything. Like. These wow. things print. Come on, not history, but relative. Well, you're to... not. I mean, yes, we are where we are in the world. So Don't, you can't give me like T bill at six percent is a, uh, you know. Yes. Okay. That's that. You are correct on that. But relative opportunity set today, then your your comment stands. I mean, Google's a four percent free cash flow yield. Like That's these things bad. are not that rich. Bargains. All right, guess uh that's full time whistles blind thanks very much guys we'll uh we'll see you next week oh hang on i almost i almost